Our Father, we thank you so much for the many blessings that you've given us so generously. Now we ask in a special way for your Holy Spirit to be with us. May the people hear the things that you need them to hear, not the things that I say. And may we be a blessing to our kids as a result of having been at this camp meeting. We ask this in thy name. Amen. Okay, so General George S. Patton said, never tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do and they will surprise you with their ingenuity. It's been more than one time where I've been surprised by the different ways you can accomplish the same thing. Uh, and, and kids are good at finding new ways that, um, that, that can be helpful to us. We're going to start out talking a little bit about learning. It involves taking inf information from the environment and processing it so it can be become a part of what we have to work with. In a broad sense, we want to learn to own a concept. And long ago, far away, the, as an example of this, I got exposed to numbers and how to add and subtract. Well, fortunately, if we keep them to small sizes, I can do still do this. Uh, Let's go back a little bit. Research has shown that matching teaching methods with a student's preferred learning style increases the chances for that goal to be achieved. This can be a challenge. I, I, I'll be the first to admit it, but I will also say it is very important. Come with me back in time. 23 years ago, our family moved from the state of Michigan to, to or from the state of Minnesota to Lansing, Michigan for me to take a job. My wife's first job, I, I, and so we got here and we unloaded the van and, and or the, the trailer and, and took it back to U-Haul. And, and um, then on, uh, I went to work and left my wife and four kids in this small duplex, one half of it. And my wife's first job, besides figuring out where the pots and pans and stuff were, was where are my kids going to go to school? And I am from a family of guys who are late bloomers. Some of us, it just takes us a while to get going. And also from a family where a whole bunch of us have dyslexia. Two of my kids, two of my boys have more than I do. For those of you who aren't real familiar with dyslexia, this makes it possible for us to look at a word and see a totally different word. We can look at numbers and see totally different numbers. Sometimes we rearrange them. Um, and uh, at times it can make life quite interesting. But uh, so uh, those, it is one of those things that can be handed down. Uh, through the generations, and we were able to figure out which side of my grandparents it came from, which, you know, so we know it's on the Katie side, and which is where you still have to deal with it. But the intensity of it, frequently, uh, I'm on the lighter generation. My dad had more than me, and two of my sons have a lot more than me. One of them a lot more than the other. Um, so we had to figure out my wife had to figure out where are my where are these kids going to go to school, 
And the oldest, well, he, he went to Lansing Community College. The next oldest, uh, he ended up going to, and I forget the name of it, but, and I'm gonna date myself but with my terminology, but it was sort of a trade school, high school-y thing in Mason. And so he started learning things about how to become a machinist and how to weld and uh, working with his hand. He, he was always good, he is still good with his hands. Uh, but that's where he started out. Then, then came the next one, he was headed for eighth grade. And so Deb went and talked to the local school, local church school, and uh, we had talked with them a little bit earlier when I had interviewed for my job. And so we knew where, where the school was and all of this kind of good stuff. And so we go back and uh, they're more than glad to take my daughter. But my youngest son, no wait, they did not want him. They didn't want to, they just weren't gonna, they did, teachers didn't want to mess with somebody with dyslexia. So we know that he's not going there. And there was another school, uh, another church down the road that was going to be opening up their school. And uh, so we went and talked with the teacher. And lo and behold, she had training in uh, how to teach kids with dyslexia and was willing to take the time to do it. So that's where he enrolled. And since they were starting up a school that was going to help him, that's the church I moved my membership to. Um, but anyway, that's we, we got into learning styles that's sort of off from that, but yet it's not because different kids learn different ways. And uh, we were very blessed that Number one, the teachers who said they didn't want to mess with it, just plain said, we don't want to mess with it. And so we didn't have a disappointing experience with him there. That, I mean, that would have been bad. Okay? Um, so we moved on, and, and things progressed. Here we have somebody with a different learning disability. After a hasty special education placement for behavior problems, school officials were embarrassed to learn that Marty really did have ants in his pants. So, ways of learning can be as different as the colors of the rainbow. We have different personalities, preferences, and tastes. And as parents, teachers, and people involved working with kids in clubs, we need to learn these things and be aware of them. How do you learn? Well, there are various instruments that can be used, but also you can learn a lot just by observing them. And once you know what kind of uh, learner they are, you can work on developing, uh, develop ways to do that. I was at a uh, investiture service uh, this spring, and there was one of the members of the Pathfinder Club uh, is developmentally disabled, flat out. He is developmentally disabled. But one of the instructors there 
figured out how he learns. And he is a very curious kid. He's got some unique uh, idiosyncrasies, but she has learned how to work with him. And uh, she puts together special worksheets to help him uh, when they do honors and stuff. And he had earned more honors than anybody else in the club. And the others weren't doing bad. He hadn't learned life twice as many more, but he had two or three more than anybody else. And uh, that's a credit to the teacher, I, I thought. So Howard Gardner has identified seven distinct different intelligences, and we don't have time to, to get into a big dissertation on all of those, but let's just look at some of the different ways. We have verbal learners, they have a sensitivity to the meaning and sounds, rhythms of word. Sometimes they enjoy storytelling, creative writing. Sometimes, maybe they like poetry. Maybe they like puzzles and riddles. Logical learners may enjoy the number games, problem solving, some of these things. They like order and step-by-step -step directions. And the, these are the ones that might ask questions in a logical manner. It's, it's interesting to, uh, I may date myself again, but you already know that I'm not a spring chicken. <clears throat> so I can remember doing uh, Bible 20 questions with kids uh, when I was the adult. And I found it interesting how some Kids will narrow things down, and others just go off in random directions where you know, somebody will start, is it from the New Testament? And you get a yes or a no. And all of a sudden, you've eliminated a whole bunch of the Bible. You know, uh, logical people are going to be doing that kind of thing. We have our visual learners. Uh, now, they enjoy creating visual patterns, need visual stimulation. Uh, so, let's talk briefly about that. Sometimes I have observed that when it looks like they're daydreaming, they're just processing stuff in a different way. We had a pastor who was very, very visual, and when he took notes, He's got this sheet of paper, and he's got stuff written all, drawn all over it, because that's how he thinks. And it works great for him. And when he gave us handouts at church of his sermon notes, beforehand, it made no sense at all to me, none whatsoever. But as he worked his way through it, he explained it. And oh, okay, okay. And afterwards, I was able to review the sermon looking at these drawings that he had done. So I'm getting to, it, they appear to be daydreamers, and some of them probably are, but some of them are just processing things differently. Um, musical learners enjoy playing instruments, singing songs, maybe drumming. They like, maybe they like the sound of the human voice, instrumental sounds, 
Some of them will learn easier if you put things to music. Um, I can remember uh, one of my, my youngest son, the one with this dyslexia, um, when he was helping, I think it was kids in the friend class, work on learning uh, a memory verse. And, and they had a table that they were on. He literally had them walking, marching around the table, saying the memory verse. Okay? And I don't know that he's so much of a musical learner, but he was dealing with kids that were overly active, and, and, and he was giving them something to do while providing them something he wanted them to do. Physical learners are athletic and active. They may enjoy role-playing, expressing themselves with movement and bodily action, and that's just a part of who they are. Sometimes they're going to touch you while they're talking to you. We have extrovert learners that are very social. Some of these are really good at reading the feelings and behaviors of others. And they can be very excellent leaders and enjoy being part of a group, and they can help peers and everybody work together. And then we have us introverts. Some of us like to work independently, and we'd rather do things on our own. And as one of my sons would say, they'll march to the beat of a different bagpiper. Um, no, so they have the ability to understand their own feelings and not necessarily pick up, they won't always pick up on some of those of other people around them. So how do we perceive information? Well, a couple different ways. There's information and experience. And one of the things I really, 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 really like about Pathfinders and Adventurers is we don't just stick them in chairs, in desks, and talk to them and expect them to learn everything we we're trying to get through. They actually get out of those chairs and do stuff. And for some of us, that it's very important to do things with our hands. Some of us, uh, you know, I remember hearing a guy talk about, uh, he was talking with an old buddy on, uh, uh, from college I, or, or academy, and, and yeah, he'd gone to college, and, and he got his business degree and went on to get the MBA, and he did that for a while, but he says, but now I'm using the gifts that God has given me, and I'm doing carpentry doing finished carpentry, work for a remodeling company, and now that I'm using the gifts that God has given me, I am enjoying life. I didn't enjoy that other stuff. Um, we gain knowledge by being involved with people, visiting places, participating in events, activities. Doesn't that sound like Pathfinders uh, and, and Adventurers? Learning, hopefully, is a never-ending process, and... People are always searching for and sorting out information, experimenting and testing things out. Learning is most likely to occur when somebody is motivated. They need to want to, to learn. You know, I can remember I tried uh, a career uh, when I got out of school that didn't work out uh, and found myself back working for my father who drilled water wells and uh, 
So I'm, I'm drilling water wells and all of a sudden I need to learn how to weld because we weld the casing together before we put it down the ground to keep the, anyway. So I needed to learn how to weld and I was really interested in how, I, I wanted to learn how to do that and do a good job at it. And fortunately, uh, three towns away, they had a Votech college that had an evening course in that. And I signed up for it and went and learned and come to find out the guy that's teaching it was a maintenance man at IBM. And uh, this was just something that he did in uh, one night a week. And uh, I figured out right away this guy really, 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 really knew how to do this stuff. And he wasn't really good as a teacher. But if I could figure out questions to ask him, I could learn anything about this. And lo and behold, um, uh, as soon as I learned that, oh my, we got along really great. Um, you know, once he told me, control the puddle, learn to control the puddle. <sighs> Anybody who wants to teach welding on it, here's one of the big, big, big things in it, and, and it's not in the requirements stated, but one of the, skill, one of the skills you need to develop is how to control that puddle of molten metal. Um, so I was really interested in it, and although I have some dyslexia, not near as bad as a couple of my boys, I can read pretty good. And so I was reading all I could and, and, uh, because I was motivated uh, at it. Here we have Calvin and Hobbes. Mrs. Wormwood, I'm not going to learn this material unless you make it enthralling. I see. And what will you do if the rest of your life doesn't entertain you every minute? What? You think I'll live someplace that doesn't get cable? Well, today that would be Wi-Fi. Um, a few years ago, I actually went, uh, left camp meeting a little bit early and flew out to California for a wedding. And lo and behold, the uh, cousin who, at whose house I stayed didn't have cable. Where they're at, they they are a, they don't even have a landline. Um, yeah, they they're off up on this big hill, and and uh, so so such places do exist, although some of our kids have difficulty conceiving of them. They say, have you, anybody ever heard the phrase, practice makes perfect? How many of you believe it? I do not believe it. Perfect practice tends toward perfection. But if you keep practicing it wrong, it's, you, you're, you, you, then practice makes permanent. Uh, so... Uh, repetition facilitates, it can facilitate learning. And, uh, but we don't want repetition just for the sake of repetition. Here we've got this poor guy out baling hay and it's hot and sunny and even the clouds are starting to look like bales of hay to him. Um, there are times where you end up having to have mast 
you do a lot of repetition all at once. But if you can spread it out, it works a lot better. Um, some of you have heard this story earlier this week, but we've got a bunch of people that weren't here, so I'm going to repeat it. The first club I had, uh, we had a uh, small church. Uh, I think we had eight, eight pathfinders in it out of three families. And two of the families, the mothers came to me and said, if you're going to be marching and drilling, my kids aren't going to be in the club. And I figured march and drill is not the central focus of pathfindering. Let's have them in the club. And so we took off and, and we're running a Pathfinder club. Come spring of the year, uh, we've got a Pathfinder fair coming up that we're supposed to go off camping to. And, um, and uh, no, it, I don't remember if it was spring or fall. Anyway, there was a, a conference-wide gathering that uh, we were going to be going off to, and there were a number of events to prepare for. And one of them was a march and drill event, and they listed a number of things that you had to be able to demonstrate. And I figured, okay, we've got three or four items to, to work on, and would we, I don't have to waste time working on this other one because we're not going to use it. And so for several meetings, we're working on all these other events as we're wrapping up our, our uh, classwork. And uh, then the meeting before, uh, the Wednesday before, week and a half before we go, I learned that this one family, they're not letting the kids go. And if they're not letting them go, well, I guess they're not going. So, we, But we're going to move on, and, and we were still going to be able to get these other events done with, the, with those that remained. And then this one of the, these were two kids who were not going to be in the club if we marched and drilled. The other mom then came to me at church and said, I guess it's okay if they march. So I've got a Sunday morning to teach them how to march and drill and finish up all the rest of the prep. So we had our devotional and we, uh, I introduced them to stationary commands and it was a disaster. And we went and worked on one of the events and that was going great because we'd been practicing that. And then we went back and worked on stationary commands, and it was still pretty miserable. And then we went and worked on another event. And again, these, this one was going good, although we, we didn't have those two kids. We, you know, we, 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 everybody knew how to do what needed to be done. We're getting it done. We go back, work on march and drill. <clears throat> and it's, some of it's starting to make progress, but then Dave, of course, is adding more commands because he's got this list of things that, he, that they're supposed to demonstrate. And I start with the moving commands, and that was a disaster. And we go work on our last event, and that one's going great. And then we go out to the parking lot, and we start, go back to work. We've got room for moving commands. And, but we start with the stationary ones. And by now, for the most part, we're getting the rights. They've learned how to do the right and left, but there's con con I got a bunch of young kids. And the right and left thing, it takes a while to get sorted out. Yeah, that's just how it is, and that's what part of why we don't have adventurers go marching. They're just not ready for it. But we're out in this crushed rock parking lot. And so after a little bit of frustration, I, I got this wild idea. It says, okay, 
Everybody, I had, first we had to identify the right hand and everybody had to figure out which, which right was right and got all the right rights. And, and okay, to bend down, grab a rock in the right hand. So now they're holding a rock in the right hand. And say, now when I say right face, think rock. And all of that, that seemed to help some of them were having problems. So now all the, we're getting them going in the right direction, but we're not moving at the same time. It's sort of boom, boom, boom kind of thing. And, but that isn't how it's supposed to be done. And so I start working on them saying, I mean, and, and having spent hours in a practice room with the trumpet, I understand how to practice. And that's what we needed to do. And so we, I don't have to practice the whole song if there's just this one measure that's given me the grief. I'm going to work the one measure. So I'd say, right face. And hopefully they do this. And, and they were doing it, but they weren't doing it together. So now I have to make them aware. Now it needs to be together. Right face. Almost together. Again, right face. Almost, just a couple of you. And left face. Not, just a couple of you aren't quite together. We need to be together. Left face. Again, left, they've got to get it together. Left, and all of a sudden, in five minutes, I went from just a bunch of kids to a team because they figured out that what they did impacted everybody else. And if they didn't get it right, everybody else is going to be repeating that command until they got it right. Because we had distributed the repetition instead of just massing it, they were able to process The subconscious could work on it while they were doing this other stuff, and they were able to um, absorb it better. I've recently experienced that in my own life um, because I am, I got one of the guys at work drafted, decided I needed to play in this one of the brass bands he's in. And I'm in over my head because I am not one of the best players. Because uh, I was really, really good players. But it's, it's a real stretch for me, but I have to practice my music. And I have learned that if I practice a little bit in the morning, and a little bit in the evening, I make more progress than if I just practice in the evening, even though it's longer time. Uh, that's just part of how it works. Um, past experiences contribute to efficiency in learning. You know, I, I've they're used as the basis for present and future responses to information at hand. So I've got this, all this sheet music that I've got to learn, and I've seen all of these notes before, but they're in a different order and they're in a different rhythm, and so I got to put that together. And that, so my new experiences are integrated with the old ones. Um, we want our experiences to be as enjoyable as possible for our kids so that they keep coming back. Now, levels of maturation. How, how mature is the group? There's a reason we don't have adventurers in the Pathfinder Club. There's a really good reason we don't. Have, they're not old enough. They're not mature enough. And there's a reason that we expect more 
of our voyagers and our guides than we do of our friends and companions. They're able to do more because they, they're older, they're more, hopefully more mature, both physically and intellectually. And so the activities need to be geared appropriately for them. Activity. Learning is an active process because it's accomplished by the learner, not automatically by some kind of transmission from the teacher. If I could, if we could just get this stuff by osmosis, I'd have been sleeping on books when I was going to college instead of a pillow. It didn't, that doesn't work, so. Um, and it's that simply receiving information from a teacher is not enough. Telling is not teaching. Activity is essential for learning. Now, I'm going to turn that around a little bit, too, though. If you really want to learn something, teach it to somebody else. If you really want to learn it, teach it to somebody else. And that's one of the advantages our multi-grade schools have over some of the big schools where you got three for three uh, classes of fourth graders and, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. They, then they have a chance for the older ones to help the younger ones. And if you've got three or four kids the same age, most likely one of them's gonna pick it up faster than somebody else. And if you can have them help the other one, they're gonna use different words than whatever you or the teacher used. And sometimes that's enough to help them uh, pick up what needs to be done. So what sort of an activity do you think we've got here? Yep, looks like they're building kites. How many of you have the kite building on here? I'm just curious. Got a few of you. Did you have fun doing it? W would you do it again? Yeah, it's fun. So, reinforcement, the possibility that learning will occur is greater when different ways of responding or behaving are followed by different conditions. Club members should be given opportunities to share their discoveries to reinforce the principle or idea being studied. And that's what we were just talking about, having those that already figured it out to, to help the ones that haven't quite got it. Transfer of learning, behavior or responses learned in one situation may transfer or be applied to other situations. And we need to find general ideas and figure out how to apply them in different situations. But when you teach kids in March and Drill that when you say, when you call them to position of attention, that they are to stop talking and uh, stand, you, you teach them what the posture is and all of this kind of stuff, that then is something that you can use at various times uh, just to get their attention and uh, uh, when you need to disseminate information about whatever. Something else that I've seen used rather than just call people to attention in the middle of everything. Uh, one of the clubs that I was with, uh, deputy director, had a series of whistle commands and sound one whistle, that just meant stop what you're doing, be quiet, and listen, somebody has to say something. It's, and that's a behavior or response that could be applied. That got used on campouts or whenever. So effective teachers are going to use a variety of things 
in, in a single class time sometimes just to make a lesson more of effective. What is the aim of the, of the lesson? What, what's the point of the whole thing? Why are we doing this? Hopefully both the teacher and the student know what it is that they're trying to accomplish. Uh, and hopefully the lesson can be achieved in the allotted time. My older sister took uh, voice lessons. And in talking with her, um, she's grateful for, the, for some of the voice teachers that she had. But it, it, she'd been doing this for quite a while before she figured out that practice actually did make a difference. And I think part of what was not being communicated is what is the aim of this particular exercise that you're supposed to be singing? What part of this are we trying to do? Now, having said that, and looking back at, at uh, some trumpet lessons that I had, I can remember a teacher that I had uh, who was trying to reinforce the idea of what I was supposed to sound like and, and how to improve my tone. Looking back, I can tell you, Dave wasn't quite ready for it then because it just went right over my head. Looking back, I know exactly what he was talking about and I, and I just couldn't absorb it at the time. I wasn't ready for it. And some of, based on my experience there, I'm going to say, you might have kids that aren't ready for everything that you're going to tell them. And sometimes we have to tell them several times before it can, literally, it can sink in. It just might be beyond them. But we still want to have an aim for what we're doing. And if we can help them know what it is, that's good. Material selection for a class is largely governed by the aim, which determines, for instance, whether the lesson will emphasize, are we learning facts, are we practicing skills, are we, you know, what is it that we're trying to do? Uh, and so decisions concerning what, how difficulty the stuff is are going to be influenced by the readiness of people. Are they ready to learn this or not? And have they had any experience or is this totally new material? To facilitate learning, we want stuff presented in a coherent, sequential fashion and then illustrate it and apply it in many different ways. Comprehension will occur if it's organized so that all the relationships can be seen and if, if the connections between new and stuff and, and stuff they've done in the past. Um, and sometimes just a preliminary overview ahead of time can, can help with that a lot. So I'm going to talk about the quality of the voice. Uh, it talks about a colorless, slow, monotonous Sometimes things can be memorable. So Dave is, come with me back in time. I'm a junior in academy. And Forrest is one of the seniors. And he's, it's a Sabbath school class. And he's, uh, not class, but it was, this was in the Sabbath school. And he's up front. And he's saying, 
We all need to get real excited about investment. <laughs> there was no excitement in Forrest. Uh, and Forrest just wasn't one of those guys that got excited. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, learn how to, to, to modulate your voice and stuff. Um, we need, sometimes we need a variety of creative resources. There's all kinds of stuff you can do. You can have quiz sessions, debates. Uh, what kind of an atmosphere is there in the room? Um, and then some of this is going to come from the teacher. And some of that is, although we would like to be able to control it, some of it is going to come from the kids. The better the teacher, the more control they have, the more control they have and the less the kids can disrupt. Environmental factors, there's a bunch. There's all kinds of stuff that, that can be distracting. I can remember being at, at some meetings once and I figured out that the, um, they had a forced air heating system. And the blower, every time it would kick in, I would hear the belt squeaking because the belt hadn't been tightened up quite enough. And maybe they were about due for a new belt. But anyway, I found it very distracting and I'm thinking, wanting to get up there and adjust the belt. Because that was just a, a distraction to me. Sometimes there's stuff we can do, we can work, that we just have to put up with. And sometimes we can do something about it. Do we have enough light? Sometimes we like bright light, and sometimes we don't like bright light. If you're trying to demonstrate, uh, if you've got a, a prism and you're going to demonstrate refracted light like that, you need to be able to get the rooms kind of dark. Uh, other times, things are best learned in an outside setting, uh, maybe around a campfire. Temperature. My uh, PE teacher I had seventh grade through my sophomore year uh, also taught social studies and I can remember him telling us in England classrooms are kept at 58 degrees to keep students alert so they learn better. I didn't believe him then and I don't today. That's just too chilly. Uh, yeah. If a room is too hot, people get uncomfortable. If it's too cold, you, people are putting all their energy into just trying to stay warm enough. Seating arrangements can make a big difference too. Um, it, can people see or not? And sometimes we can control that, sometimes better than others. Um, if you've got the kind of thing, personally, for if I'm doing a Sabbath school class, I like a circle or something like that because it just works so much better for discussion. There's all kinds of things that can be used to help teach. And so what is going to be, think about what's going to be appropriate for the time that you have, the place you're doing it, and what it is that you're doing. Creativity is important. And if you can find ways to be creative about it, kids will really appreciate it. Chances of it being enjoyable 
if you've got a creative way to, to uh, do it. We're going to look a little bit at developing creative resources. Um, what are all the different things that are needed? That's one of those things, yeah, left, right, left, yeah. That's one of those things best done outside uh, over grass. Let's look at, so who do you get to come in and teach? Obviously, we got a very high-tech lesson being explained here. There's all kinds of people that can come in and help. Uh, one, the last club that I had when I was in Minnesota, um, we had a farmer that owned several different parcels of land. And one day I, I said, Perry, can you help teach the tree honor? I'd be glad to do that. He knew he could identify trees real easy. And, and we spent one Sunday morning, uh, we probably spent three hours at least tramping around the farm uh, so he could show us different trees. And at one point we got to the, this one area and he says, these are red oaks. He says, I've been saving these. And when we build the new church, the, that's where the trim is coming. I've been saving them for that. And most of those kids got to see the trim in the new church. You know, that's cool. Uh, where they can see that sort of a connection. Um, if, if there's somebody that in, in the church that's really, really enthusiastic about birds, maybe they can come in and teach the bird, birding honor. It has surprised me. I, I grew up where I grew up with the parents and, and family that I had, and we fed birds since I was, they were feeding birds before I was around. Uh, this, but they weren't going, to, my, my grandpa didn't go, my grandpa, grandma lived right next door. They didn't go and buy bird seed. Uh, the uh, local grocery store uh, had a meat locker and they bought suet from the, the butcher. And the seeds were, oh, my grandpa grew stuff. And so he collected his own seeds. And uh, I mean, liter literally at his wedding reception, he liked this one apple and he saved the seeds from it. And I climbed up in that tree and ate, and ate, uh, ate apples. We had a hammock that swung from that one to another apple tree close by. Um, so the seeds that he uh, gave the birds were from stuff that he had grown. And he, he grew uh, sunflowers uh, just for the birds. And, and he just put the whole head uh, of the sunflower plant out there and, and let them do the hard work. But you get somebody uh, that, that's growing. I mean, so I grew up and I knew the difference between a downy woodpecker and a hairy woodpecker and a flicker. I mean, and, and the sparrows and these are English sparrows, and those are purple martins, and, and you know, so I, I just grow up knowing a whole bunch of that stuff. A um, number of years ago, I went back home to, uh, to visit mom, and she had a bird feeder outside the window, and, and somebody that was relatively new to the church came to talk about something, and, and um, she saw a yellow bird out there. He said, oh, look at those yellow ones. Are those canaries? 
No, those were goldfinches. But this woman was started talking about somebody that she met, and they liked birds. Why? They even had a book on just birds. So, uh, what I'm saying is, with our kids, we want to expand their horizons. Okay? Um, and, and, and there's, in your churches, there's going to be people, either in your church or around it. You, you can have people come in and teach in honor that aren't a member of the church. They do have to do the verify volunteers. But, so what? They can still come in and, and, and you know, maybe you can have a fireman come in and, and, and help with the red alert honor. Kids will remember that. And, and you know, and you can give him the, the, the list of it, you know, how they're supposed to find, uh, practice fires, have their own fire drills at home and, and have a plan. You know, the firemen understand that stuff and, the, and they want to see it happen. So go ahead and bring some people in. Uh, and we've been, we just covered all of this stuff. So sometimes you, you, you can't get them and sometimes they, they can send something in. Um, there's all, and, and you know, you, we can go to libraries and museums and, and all kinds of places to help with this kind of stuff. Gardens, there's all kinds of books and articles and stuff out there. Now, the, I got this, these PowerPoints a number of years ago. A lot of you probably won't be using convenient VHS cassette tapes. <laughs> Just say it. But, but you never know. Never know. Uh, but you find out what's available and, and is there a way that you can use it. And uh, you, you, you folks are, are younger than me, so I'm sure you know a, a lot more stuff that's available today than I don't. But, but you can get all kinds of stuff available. And what you're doing, who's doing it, where you're doing it, you know, makes a difference in what you... Uh, put together. Now, resource file. I, I just love this illustration. That's a really cool file drawer, huh? So, but some of you may have some of those only in digital format, right? Uh, yes, yes, you can harness the... No, this one was mine, right? Okay, so, <laughs> so we're fortunate. We can harness the power of the great Google. The great Google is wise in many things and a total idiot in many others. Uh, but if you find... Uh, if, if you have digital resources, uh, here's my counsel. Back it up, back it up, back it up. Um, here's one way you can keep information filed. Um, some of you may not choose to use this particular method, but doesn't that look organized? Um, um, we need to talk a little bit about AY Honors. The whole idea is we're going to develop 
physical, mental, and spiritual capacities. Okay? Here's some of the things we want to consider. High standards. Years ago, I remember reading in a Reader's Digest, there was this little colony, uh, Humor in Uniform. And there's a serviceman who's in his dress uniform traveling from point A to point B. And next to him is a little girl. And she's looking at all of the, all the shiny stuff on, on, that's on his, on his uniform. And she finally says, what's all, the, what's all the ribbons and stuff? And he says, oh, those are things that the army gave me. She says, In the brownies, we have to earn ours. <laughs> give them high standards to work for. Uh, give them a chance to do some studying. Um, we've got a lot of different things that they can uh, work on. Here's an example of one way to teach in honor. And I wish I could take credit for having put this together. I did not. Ken Neal did. He is here. He, he's rooming down the hall from me. Uh, but he gave me this uh, PowerPoint. This is a practical application of physics through the experiment of Pinewood Derby cars. He's taking two different honors. He's working on it at the same time, really, right? Doing the physics honor and the experiments with Pinewood Derby. Okay, so here's some of the forces we're gonna explore. Gravity, they talk about how gravity is used to convert static energy to dynamic and how to do blah, blah, blah. We talk about drag and how do you, how do you reduce it? Where do we get our gravity? Well, it comes from the Earth. And you, kids need to learn this at some point in their life. And the physics honor, that's a good spot. And hopefully for many of them, it's review. Now here we get a mathematical formula about uh, how things uh, accelerate. So we've got an example of dropping a ball. And, it, and, and you can physically take a ball, I'm not going to drop this, but you, you, you can visualize it. But I would have a ball for the kids or something to drop. Yeah, I could do that. Okay. And so after one second, how fast was it going? How long did it take to fall? <coughs> that distance, how long did it take? Two seconds? Less, what? Definitely took less than two seconds. Less than two seconds. I'm going to say a little less than one. Okay? So, but, but, here, here this is a nice illustration of, of this. Now, if you've got the facilities, take the kids out somewhere and, and where you can get somebody up on the ladder and get somebody with a stopwatch and, and see what they can do for time and stuff, okay? They'll love it. Okay, now here we've got a yellow dot to illustrate the center of gravity, or center of mass. So which one has the greatest distance available to drop, red or blue? Both cars will reach the bottom of the track at the same time. The track continues flat at the bottom for a distance of 12 feet. What can you predict will happen at the end of the track from these facts? Remember the ball example. Any ideas? Well, they're both going to go the same distance. They're both going to go the same 12 feet. 
Blue will probably get there faster, okay? Now, it's because it still has a ways to fall, so it can still continue accelerating. Even though they went the same speed coming down the slope, the, the blue one's got more time to accelerate, okay? Now, we're going to look at sources of drag. And they include wheels turning against axles in the body, the track surface, lane strip resistance, air, frontal area, and aerodynamics. Let's look at the wheels first. Drag in your wheels can be reduced in several ways. Sand the outside surface. Remove any burrs or excess plastic from around the hub. Polish the axles. Use a dry graphite lubricant. And so there's, here's a nice illustration for some of that. So notice how he's sanding off, instead of leaving it square, he's sanding it off so we've got less surface area here. Polish your axles so that they're nice and shiny. And sand the outside surface so you don't have any lumps or mold marks. Dragging the track, well, there's, you're limited in what you can do, but maybe you can adjust wheels. They have to go in a straight line so that they're not raising, uh, rubbing all the way down. And maybe if you can raise one wheel up so it goes on three wheels instead of two. Um, but you don't want it rubbing on here because that just slows it down. Now, if you can raise the one up a smidge. So the straighter it drives and you get it lined up straight, the faster it goes. Yep, the straighter it goes, the faster it's going to go. Okay? Now, let's talk about air resistance. Reduce the frontal area of your car. So here's how you measure the area. Everybody starts with the same block of wood. And this is less aerodynamic and this is more aerodynamic. Kids will pick up on that really quick. It's pretty easy to, on, on this stuff. Okay, so we've got a summary. Greater drop distance equals more velocity. If we have less friction, we have less dissipation of velocity. And you can read the rest. And I want you to. How many of you saw that coming? This is a wonderful example. We need to find ways when we teach our honors to point to our Savior. This is a wonderful example. The, the whole thing is, is, is brilliant. Because kids are, are interested, you know, the Pinewood Derby thing is interesting. Physics, how do you make gravity interesting? Well, we're, he combines gravity and air resistance, and, and he's doing a whole bunch of stuff here. And then to throw, put in the parable of the ten virgins. That's really cool. That is really cool. For the recording, I will read what it says. In the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, the ones who had the extra oil were able to go the distance with their Lord. We need the extra oil of the Holy Spirit to carry us to the end. You cannot produce gravity. You can only use it. Use the Holy Spirit. God is willing to give it to those who ask. Get the advantage. He is willing to help us learn how Figure out how to meet the needs of our kids. You remember that one class, uh, that one club I told you about where there was a developmentally challenged kid and the one teacher figured out 
how to meet his, how he could learn. You need to be those people. You need to be that person. So that's my challenge for you today. Our Father, we thank you so much that you are a person who has limitless resources. Now we ask that you'll be with everyone here, that they can tie into your Holy Spirit, that they can be receptors of it and transmitters, that you can work through them, that kids can learn about birds and trees and kites and camping and all of that stuff, but that they can also learn about you and your love for them and how you've expressed it through birds and trees. We ask this in thy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.